Welcome back to the Project 24 YouTube podcast. This is episode 10. Hello, everybody. It is Nate here again, and I, you know I'm going to say it. I am excited to talk about what we're talking about today. It's it's kind of an ongoing joke. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks it's funny, <laughs> but uh, that every time I get onto this this uh, podcast, I'm always starting it with, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. And the reality is, I am excited to talk about this because it's direct answers to things and topics that and uh, deeper dives into topics than I can do pretty much anywhere else. So today I've got a very interesting thing for you. It's an issue or a concern that I've seen come up several times in the Project 24 community recently. And that is, how do you focus your audience? If you're seeing a divided audience or you're not quite sure what kind of an approach you're going to be taking with your audience, there's a few threads I wanted to address here. The first one is from Drew Barbad. And he says, well, the thread's called Help, I Have a Divided YouTube Audience. So the story, in a nutshell, is 16 months ago, he had his channel and decided to move from mechanical engineering to backyard roller coasters. So he had been publishing for a while in mechanical engineering, and then he switched to backyard roller coasters. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty fun to me. <laughs> and so what he's seeing is that the he's with two different audience types, one audience is interested in one type of thing and the other audience is interested in a different type of thing. And so what should he do about it? That's the, the big question. So there's a few approaches here. One is if both of, I'm, I'm going to speak in general terms here. If you find your own channel doing something similar to this, like you've got kind of two or even three spliced audiences and they're not necessarily interested in certain videos that you publish, but they are interested in other videos that you publish. It can be a concern and, and rightly so, because as Drew says in this thread, if only part of your audience is interested, then it's can, it can be easy to confuse the algorithm in that they don't quite know what your audience umbrella is. And so if it's only partially interesting to your audience, uh, that they may not be able to promote it to more audience outside of your existing audience effectively. They might not be able to do that. And so it is a concern because of that from the algorithm standpoint, but also if you have two dramatically different audiences and you create and you try to force that in the long term, then what you're creating is audience behavior that you don't necessarily want. For example, if I had a channel that was in two different languages and one, you know, my, my audience, unless my entire audience knew both languages, immediately I would be cutting off at least half of, about half of my audience, unless there's some bilingual uh, people in there. And I would be cutting off a lot of them every time I published a video that is not what the language that they have. I'm using an extreme example here, but the question has come up actually more than once about a bilingual channel. And what's wrong with that is it's changing viewer behavior because if your audience, every time they see that you uploaded a video and something they're not interested in, or in the extreme example, in a language they don't even know, they're not going to watch it. And what's going to happen is you're potentially going to break the viewership uh, habit uh, if people like your channel, they come back and they know, you know, these days you always publish these things. And if they're needing to ignore pieces of content that you publish pretty regularly, it can be a concern from a marketing psychology <laughs> standpoint. So this is why 
it's an issue here. And there, that's an extreme example I used of two different languages, but it happens a lot more often than you might think. So there's a few approaches we can take with a divided audience. One is, hey, can we find how much overlap can we find between these two audiences? And then we need to alter our language so that it appeals to more of the overlap between the two audiences. I'm going to speak to this specific example here, mechanical engineering, to backyard roller coasters. There's potentially, potentially, I don't know this industry as well as Drew does here, but potentially there is some overlap between those two. Because if you're designing your own backyard roller coaster, you probably have to know at least a fair amount of mechanical engineering. You have to know of various aspects of maybe building the thing, the, the, um, the momentum of the roller coaster, how to design it. I mean, I don't, I'm speaking from personal experience. I don't know very much about it. But when I look at it as a whole, there's potential there, okay? Now, the question then is, do I want to somehow combine the overlaps of these two audiences? And is that the direction I want to take? We're being intentional here. Is that the direction I want to take? My guess is in many cases, when you look at your channel, you won't want to combine them. And in fact, you'll want to lead out with one of the audiences and maybe do some things to kind of help convert some of the other audience to the new direction. In most cases, that is what I would recommend, meaning you have your core group, your core umbrella of people that really like your content. And if you've noticed that your audience is spliced, choose the one that you like the most and lead out with it. And then do things to convert the other outliers as well as you can to the new direction but trying to maintain a split audience can be very difficult for all the reasons outlined already. So that's the first thing. Uh, the next thing I wanted to say about this is the another angle you can take with deciding what kind of new direction you're taking or the new focus you're taking with your audience has to do with the three channel archetypes that I just, it's actually published. As I'm recording this, it was just barely published. So Go, if you have not yet listened to that episode, it's the one, it's episode nine, right before this one, then definitely go listen to it because what I'm about to say will make a lot more sense after the fact, after you've listened to that. Because sometimes audiences are spliced, they're two different groups of audiences because the expectation is for a different archetype than what you are giving them. So if I start out, and again, I'm going off of, actually, I'm going to go off of another thread here. This is from Joel Hayden in the Project 24 community. Uh, the thread's called Amazing First Week of Project 24. And their channel's about optometrist, they're an optometrist, a nutritionist. And uh, they've been publishing for a little while. And in the past, their primary focus was on search and making videos that were very search-focused. And so then they shifted after watching and learning from the, uh, the YouTube program and they changed the approach for their titles. So before it was a best monthly contact lenses for dry eyes and they changed the title to if you wear monthly contact lenses, you have to try this lens and then best monthly contact, dry, best monthly contacts for dry eyes. There you go. And so they shifted that. Now, the new results were much better. They said the best that video was their best video of their last 50 two days in. 
And instead of getting most of their traffic from search, it was pulled 70% from browse and only 11% from search. I'm going to add another layer onto this. Now, the title was awesome. That's great. But what else happened behind the scenes with that title, with the positioning? Potentially a, chain, a shift in archetype. Now, in, in this case, so I'm going to high-level the archetypes, you know, the, the audience intention, the reason why they're watching the channel, information, entertainment, or connection. And so a shift in that title brought it into, it is more, it is information mostly. And in fact, I would say that this, the new title is, it's arguably information as well as the old title, but it, what did it bring in? It brought in some more curiosity, which is inherently more of an entertainment factor because, hey, if you wear monthly contact lenses, you have to try this lens and not just recommendations, general recommendations. It's this one. So inherently there's some curiosity in it. Okay, and so this is another way that we can decide how to shift focus if we have a spliced audience. If your audience previously, I'll just use this example because it's hot right now <laughs> in the questions in the community. If your audience previously was more of information, they're there for information, and you realize you want to do more of uh, entertainment content, then how would you shift according to that? to bring the same, potentially the same audience together under the new archetype. Okay, I hope this is making sense for you because this will determine how you shift if your audience is spliced. If you have different groups of audiences, there's topic to take into account, but also the intent of why they watch, the archetype of why they watch. So if you want to go a new direction, let's say I'm going to go back to the uh, mechanical engineering. Let's say previously it was very technical and people are there, they're there for search, they're there to get information, get answers and then leave. But then the new direction is backyard roller coasters. Uh, in, inherently with that topic, there's a bit more of entertainment and a lot more potential for connection. And so if I were approaching this in the new direction, I would ask myself questions like, what kind, what aspects of entertainment am I going to pull into this? Am I going to explain a topic, but also show how I applied it for an actual, my actual, in my backyard, a roller coaster in my backyard. And so I take it a lot more light on the information side, but more heavy on the entertainment side. Great example of this would be Mark Rober. I talk about his channel all the time. I love his channel because it's, it's technically a, an engineering channel. It's technically talking about concepts and, and that type of thing that are kind of engineering concepts. But the approach is not information first. The archetype is not information first. It is definitely not. And especially after you listen to that archetype, the episode last week, uh, you'll get exactly what I'm saying here. The approach is entertainment first. And then arguably connection and information. I, I'm not sure which one I would say next. Probably information. Ex uh, I don't know. They're pretty equal in my mind because people get to know Mark really well and they like him because of who he is and, and the topics. He could do just about any topic and they still like to watch. But it's still entertainment first. Okay. I hope you're picking up on what I'm dropping down here. Okay. Uh, so w as far as deciding for the new focus... Questions I'm asking myself is what types of content would I enjoy making the most and what kinds of audience do I want to attract? Because I'll, I'll use a real world example here. 
something I have been observing in the YouTube learning space. I'll speak in the context of channel makers here. Something I have observed quite often is there is a definite life cycle for audience in that space because people say, hey, I want to start a YouTube channel. And so I'm going to start looking up what there is. You know, I'm going to find some. I'm going to watch a bunch of videos. Maybe I'll, I'll binge watch a bunch of videos for a while. I'll watch several channels. And then either I do it, like my channel starts taking off and the information doesn't feel as applicable anymore, or I fizzle out and I kind of move on. Or I just get bored with the idea and I move on. Now, what if... So that's the typical life cycle that I see. And so that is what leads to a lot of YouTube growth channels, basically repeating the same thing over and over again. And so I've been asking myself questions similar to, what if there was a way to create an ongoing appeal, even if I'm not necessarily in the early stages of building a channel? What if I already have a very well-established channel and I still want to watch it. Now, you can do that by doing more advanced information, which I do try to include in there, much more advanced or data-based information uh, that are applicable to no matter what the channel size is. But another possibility is pulling in more entertainment. So what I've been experimenting with is adding more entertainment first videos. Examples would be the one that I just published as a recording this, eight bizarre channels that I found. That one is pulling in. It's performing very well. As of recording, I don't anticipate it going down. <laughs> uh, because, But that one, if I were to give that an archetype blend on that one, I would say it's probably 60% entertainment. At least 60% entertainment. And then there's some information because I talk about, you know, the... The, why that channel worked the way it did. And, and there's the connection that's built into it that, that's just personality and stuff. But it's mostly entertainment. And that's not something that I've seen a lot in the current industry. So it's, it's a new approach. And so broader, top, broader level here, when you're looking, when you're drafting your industry on YouTube, when you're industry audit and then you're drafting other channels, there is potential for paving new ground or trying new types of content that bring in the different archetypes from what is standard in what is already on in your industry on YouTube. It's really cool when you start tapping into that because um, I'll use this example again because it's so applicable to many of you listening. If you are leading out with information, one of the best ways to increase your subscribability factor is to add the other two archetypes into your channel and make the blend more even. If your channel is currently like 90% information, everything just information, I'm gonna give you information, and then very little else, if you want to foster more repeat viewers and more broad appeal, it's almost always adding in the other two archetypes, either entertainment or connection. Okay, so just a little expanding there on what, was, what I explained last week in the podcast. So that's that. I wanted to address one more uh, thread here in the community. This is from David Gunzenhauser. Uh, they said, hey, I just signed up five minutes ago. Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. And um, they had just a few questions. They've been, they've been live for about one month. And uh, first of all, Queen Liz... And uh, Brian D. answered a lot of these questions. So I don't need to address all of them. And thank you, Queen Liz and Brian D. for answering these uh, but then they ask a question about uh, vid IQ. Using they said they pay for vid IQ monthly and have 
and other than a few tag suggestions so far, they've seen not a lot of value in it. And so the question was brought up in the threads of should you be using a YouTube helper tool type of thing? Here's my take on it. So one, um, I have done various experiments and worked with vidIQ. And so that's a little background there. I've done a lot of experiments with them. I've done videos with them. I'm, they're a great team. I've, I highly recommend them as a company, as a team. Um, as far as a tool standpoint, I have found a lot of a lot of really useful aspects about it. But the question is high, the, the question here is what aspects and at what stage should you use that type of tool? So to directly answer this question from David Gunsenhauser, is it worth it to pay for vidIQ at an early stage on your channel? And in most cases, I would say no, because there are other things that are perhaps more important in the early stages of a channel than focusing on all of the numbers and the search analysis or the, uh, what do they call it? The, the keyword research, that's it. So in many cases, that current, my current thought here is in most of the time, when someone goes in and they're starting a YouTube channel and they start using one of those tools extensively, they are they focus too much on things that don't matter at that stage. Things like uh, keyword research and, um, well, I, I want to say on a broader level here because I know somebody listening is like, wait, keyword research does matter if you're doing search. Well, okay, it does matter. <laughs> okay, I need to I need to back up there. But things like all of the data and the analytics, the, the views, the comparisons with other channels, the scores on the keyword research when you search something and it gives you a score in return, all of those things take second fiddle, in my mind, to a few other things, especially at an early stage of a, of a channel. One is, can you make a good video? Can you make a video that is engaging and interesting and is helpful to people? That, to me, is much more important than the other aspects, the, the things that are focused on by the tools. And another is, can you, make, can you uh, make content on an ongoing basis for an audience umbrella? Because what happens many times is if we get too focused on the numbers early on, we start to create content that's just a little bit off. It's a little bit odd because if we're really search-focused, for example, we're not necessarily building a subscribable channel. If that's the only thing we're doing and we're not keeping in mind the subscribability factors, then that can happen. I've seen it happen many times. And people will I'll have questions all the time on channel makers and, and elsewhere. They'll say, well, hey, I did a video on XYZ keywords and it didn't do well. But the, the tool told me it would do really well. Why didn't it do well? And I, most of the time I say it's because it's probably focusing on the wrong thing at this point within your channel. So broad level, as far as using those tools, they have a lot of functionality that is extremely useful. I've been using it more and more and have been recommending vidIQ more and more because of certain aspects of it. Uh, but for a brand new channel, in most cases, I would say, don't worry about it. <laughs> Come back. When, when you have 1,000 subscribers or you're getting about 1,500 to 1,000 views baseline, then it's time to come back and look at uh, what, what those tools can offer you. So that's just my two cents. This is by no means an a, uh, official endorsement or an official, like, uh, what's it, a distorsement? <laughs> what's that even called? Non-endorsement? Uh, it's by no means that. It's just a personal opinion at this point about uh, when to use those tools. 
All right, that is all I have for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Project 24 is a product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but is not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because, like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.